Our first, our, our lesson this morning, our gospel lesson this morning is from the Gospel of Mark in the 13th chapter, verses 24 through 37. But in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or at cockcrow or at dawn or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. Let's pray. Gracious God, open our ears that we may hear your truth. Open our eyes that we may see your kingdom. And open our hearts and minds that we might know the cries of our brothers and sisters who are hungry and hurting and sometimes even dying without the knowledge of your love for them. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. Well, this is the season when, when beginning with all of the, all of the hype, all of the uh, anticipation, all of the messiness of the stores and, and the shopping all begins. It's the season of a secular Christmas. Shopping's begun. The countdown of days left to make purchases is underway. Jewelry commercials are dominating the airwaves. People are passing by the Salvation Army bell ringers as they go in and out of the mall looking for just that one right gift. It's Christmas, only it's not, at least not in the church. This is the time of year when we decorate with lights, greenery, and all the symbols of the season. We sing carols. We greet people that we pass with tidings of good cheer and Merry Christmas. We rejoice in the most wondrous time of the year, the happiest season of all. It's Christmas. So says the society, which has co-opted this season of Advent, this season of waiting, this season of hope. This is also the time of shadows deep and dark shadows. The sun is becoming increasingly short-lived in our sky. When the storm clouds come, one wintry front on top of another, we wonder if it's ever going to shine again. It's the season of the year when light is scarce and shadows and darkness reign. It's a time when depression intensifies and suicide grows in popularity. 
It's Advent. Shadows. We recognize their presence. We've come face to face with shadows throughout this very week, haven't we? An angry motorist reacts not with his horn, but his handgun, and a poor driving decision results in a tragic death. Or an out-of-town driver who participated in too much of the Christmas cheer drives his car into a group of pedestrians, killing two, and as of this moment that I wrote this, left one severely injured just down on Fraser Avenue here in town. Shadows. A worn, torn land. A number of people dying in the fighting. But, but they aren't numbers just to be reported on the evening news. They're people. Sons and daughters. Husbands and wives. Fathers and mothers. The bullets flew. The bombs exploded. In one awful instant, their lives snuffed out. Shadows. Deep shadows. A husband and wife whisper, I love you, goodbye to one another as the husband lays dying and the wife dreads his departure. Shadows. Shadows laden with sorrow. A corporation doesn't know if it can stay financially solvent unless it takes drastic action, so the layoff notices go out. Thousands of jobs lost, an entire community devastated, families struggling to survive, financial pressures mount, bills to pay, food to be put on the table. Then Christmas is just around the corner and we have to find the money to do something for the kids. Someone commits suicide. Shadows. Heavy, dark shadows. Oh, but there's more. Disputed elections disrupt the latest attempt at democracy. Riots disturb the tranquility of a major city, and an innocent bystander is killed in the violence. Another youth is murdered in a drive-by shooting. A wife battered and abused last night. A husband came home from work on Friday to find his wife gone, and the prospect of how to raise his children alone is staring him in the face now. Shadows. Gathering shadows. Then there are the multitudes caught up in the lifestyle of living and dependency upon the latest pill they can swallow or the alcohol they can consume or the pictures that they can lust over or the, or the pain they can cut into their dulled senses. Anything, anything to create a buzz, to give relief so that they can make it through to the next day. Shadows. Oppressive shadows. Jesus prepared his disciples for such shadows. As you read in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, it begins with the disciples and Jesus walking out of the temple. The disciples comment on the magnificence of the temple. And Jesus turns to them and says, There is coming a day when not one stone here will be left on another, and every one of them will be thrown down. The disciples and Jesus then journey up to the Mount of Olives and a small group of disciples... Peter, James, John, and Andrew gather near to Jesus and say, Tell us, tell us, Master, when will these things happen? So Jesus tells them. Tells them about nation rising up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. 
He tells them about earthquakes, famines, and disasters. Disasters like hurricanes that rip people's lives apart. He cautions them about deception and falsity. He warns of betrayal and persecution. He informs them of a coming uh, desecration of holy things, a time of sacrilege. Jesus warns them, saying, there's horror on the horizon. And the horror is such that if someone is on the housetop, they shouldn't try to come down. Or if they're in the field, they shouldn't try to go back for their cloak. Instead, they should flee. The horror is going to be that awful. What's Jesus' litany or purpose in this litany of horrors? Does he like seeing the shock, fear, and dread on the disciples' faces? Is he offering interpretive clues so his disciples might be able to read the times and establish a timetable for his return in the end of all things? Or is Jesus preparing his disciples, trying to help them understand that life in this broken world is going to be difficult? Does Jesus want them to see that life in this world will be lived in deep shadows as if the sun was darkened and the moon turned to blood and failed to give its light and the stars fell from the sky? Does he want them to understand that shadowy darkness will characterize the end of the current age? Because Bible prophecy teachers often dominate biblical interpretation in in America's popular religious culture, we tend to assume that Jesus' purpose has something to, to do with a timetable for his return, or that Jesus wants to terrify his disciples into loyalty and obedience during his absence. The thief in the night effect, if you will. The significance of Mark 13 tends to end there for us. We recognize the darkness and wonder how long we'll have to endure it. When will Christ return? Can we figure out how bad it really is going to get? Will we have to suffer or will Jesus' rapture the faithful out out of this horror? Sometimes we even fear the future and dread the second coming of Christ because we dread the events that surround his coming. But is that really what Jesus is trying to accomplish in this extended teaching discourse in Mark's gospel? It's understandable or undeniable that Jesus is preparing his disciples for the death throes of the end of this age, warning them so they're not caught unaware. But is something more going on here? Does the good shepherd have a pastoral message upon which he wants his sheep to chew? There's a lesson to be learned about a time out there in the future when Jesus will come again. That's true. But the lesson to be learned about the climactic moment has significance for the present. Its significant lies not just in getting our attention now before it's too late, but in offering us a picture of hope. In the midst of deep shadows, Jesus comes to us and Jesus says, in those days following that distress, The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Jesus points to shadows, deep shadows. But then he speaks of a reality greater than the shadows. A reality that chases the shadows with glory. And this is good stuff. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. The reality of Jesus' coming is greater than the reality of the shadows. 
Jesus is coming, dispels the shadows with the glory of God. And here's what we must catch. Jesus shares this with his disciples because that's not only a truth for the end of time, but it's a truth for the end times in which we live. Yes, there are shadows, but there's also one coming to us who is greater than the shadows. Brothers and sisters, listen. There is a greater reality than those shadows. It's the reality of a Savior who comes to us, who came to us as a babe in a manger in Bethlehem, who comes to us in the midst of our struggles day after day in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and who is coming again. No matter how deep the shadows get, no matter how dark it may seem, the sun may be blotted out, the moon may no longer shine, and all the stars may fall There may be no light, but no matter how bad it gets, there is a greater reality than the shadows. It's the reality of a coming Savior. And it's with that in mind that Jesus continues to speak to his disciples. I don't believe that he only wants Andrew, Peter, James, and John to hear this message. I believe that Jesus wants all his disciples throughout the ages of time to hear it. There are going to be many times when we walk through shadows, intense, dark shadows. But we have another reality in which we find hope. It's the reality of Christ coming to us and making all things new. The Christ who has come is coming and will come again. When we are traveling over life's troubled seas, we have hope because there is one who has come is coming even now and will come again, one who can speak over the troubled waters and bring peace and calmness. When we're struggling and feel captive to things we can't escape, we have hope because we understand there is one who has come, is coming, and will come again, one who sets the prisoners free. When we feel like we are dominated by disease and sickness, we have hope because we know there is one who has come, is coming, and will come again. One who is the divine healer who makes us whole. One who calls himself the resurrection and the life. When we're torn and broken by sin, when we can't escape our guilt and feel the sting of shame, when the past dominates us, we have hope because there is one who has come, is coming, and will come again, one who forgives us, redeems us, and offers us salvation, one who rescues us from whatever we need to be rescued. Jesus wants us to understand that this truth as a truth that applies to the end time and to all the time. The Son of Man will come. In the midst of everything going wrong, the Son of Man has come, is coming, and will come again. And this coming of Jesus to our lives isn't a wishy-washy hope. There is surety here. And that's the point of the fig tree. When we look at the fig tree and see the sprouting leaves and buds on the tree, we know that winter is over. Spring has come. Summer is coming. We don't question whether it will happen. We have confidence that summer is near. And in a similar way, we can look at what's taking place in our world, taking note of the gathering shadows, and know the Son of Man has come, is coming, and will come again. The shadows don't spark fear. They nurture confidence, for we know Jesus is near, even standing right at the door. 
Jesus says, then I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things happen. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Does this mean that Jesus is predicting the current generation of disciples, the Andrews, the James, the Johns, and the Peters, would not die until Jesus' second coming? Is this an incidence of Jesus misspeaking? Is this a timetable reference that Jesus got wrong? Or is Jesus still stirring confidence in the truth that he comes to us in the midst of the shadows and overcomes them with the reality of his coming? Could it be that Jesus is telling his disciples that his victorious coming is certain? That it's not hanging in the air as a mere possibility? It's not maybe out there in the future? Time may pass, but it doesn't matter for what Jesus is proclaiming is already reaching fulfillment. And the first disciples experienced that fulfillment. And 2,000 years of human history cannot deny its impact. Today, more than ever, Jesus' words in this passage hold true. He has come, is coming, and will come again. And his coming is a greater reality than the shadows. The sun may stop shining. You and I depend on the sun every day, don't we? The minute the the sun stops shining, life on this planet ceases to exist. And thankfully, the sun's shining is a certain reality. Jesus' coming to us is even more so. The moon and stars can fall from the sky. You and I depend on the moon being there. Our whole world would become a mess if the moon's gravitational influence on the earth disappeared. And thankfully, the moon is a constant. So is Jesus' coming. Everything about nature we depend on, the right mixture of the air we breathe, the ozone and its necessary protection, the tilt of the earth's axis, everything we depend on may cease to be certain. Yet there is this one thing on which we can stake our beings with absolute certainty. Jesus has come, is coming, and will come again. Heaven and earth may pass away, but this reality will never pass away. Jesus tells us in verse 32 that there's no knowable timetable. That no one knows about the day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Jesus isn't giving us a timetable to figure out. He's giving us good news by which to live in the end times. Do we miss the good news in getting bogged down with timetable calculations? Jesus wants us to understand as his disciples that he is coming, that his coming is certain, the most certain thing in heaven and on earth. We can hope in his coming. We can rely on his coming. We can be confident in a greater reality than our world filled with shadows and live toward his coming. This certitude is not based on whether the temple in Jerusalem is ever rebuilt or whether Armageddon ever happens. Thank the Lord. It isn't based on Russia threatening to dominate the world and initiate the final battle. We would then have to question the certainty of Jesus' coming or have to settle down for a long wait. Jesus' certitude is based not in circumstance, but in understanding of the nature of God as one who is always coming to us. The Lord has come, is coming, and will come again. When? Now? This afternoon? This evening? 
tomorrow, next week, next year, maybe next century. We don't know. But we know, do know that he is coming. And someday soon will culminate his continual coming to us in the midst of our darkness with his final forever arrival. So we don't know the hour. For it's every hour. But Jesus tells us that the attitude that, that we are to have as we live in the shadows split apart by the coming of Christ. We are to watch. We are to be on guard. And we are to be alert. Our Bible prophecy mentality as Americans has developed this attitude about what watching means. Watching is an important thing to do because when Jesus comes, we don't want God to sneak up on us and get us. Isn't that our attitude at times? Yes, there's a place for that attitude. Don't misunderstand me. Watching means that we have not forgotten the one who has come, is coming and will come again, has given us a task. To be found sleeping at the post of our calling given by this master would be tragic. But we don't maintain that post by careful religious observance. The crossing of all our, all our religious T's and the dotting of all of our religious I's is not what the master is looking for upon his return. The parable, about, the parable about servants left in charge of the household and left to watch the door for the master to, to come indicates that to watch is not to be found asleep at the post of service when the master comes. It implies an attitude of obedience, of commitment to the will of the master. Jesus has come, is coming, and will come again. And we watch in hope and confidence for all the ways that he invades our lives by giving ourselves an obedience and stewardship to the, to the task of being a servant in his household. Is it a watch of fear, this waiting for Jesus to come? We often interpret Jesus's be on guard in those terms, but should we? Or is it watching like that of children waiting for their parents to come home? There's no doubt that mom and dad are coming home. Their return is inevitable. Children take responsibility for their behavior in light of the parents coming. They know the fear of someone saying, just you wait till your mom and dad get home. They watch with made beds and clean rooms. They watch with good behavior and cooperation. There's an attitude of joy found in the children's watching for the coming parent. The same attitude is part of this passage. For the Lord's coming isn't meant to be dread, but it's a declaration of good news. The everlasting light has come, is coming, and will come again. And whatever he is present, the shadows will lose their power. And the darkness is dispelled. Now, I don't know this morning how this message catches you, what you might be thinking or feeling as you hear it. I have a suspicion, however, when Christmas comes, many rejoice, but many also dread. We dread because the shadows have been very dark and deep, and the finery of Christmas only seems to compound the problem. The Christmas, however, is not about lights and greenery, about eggnog and apple cider. It's not about chestnuts roasting by an open fire or, or Jack Frost nipping at your nose. The commercialism of Christmas focuses on, on, on those decorations. But Christmas and the message of Christmas is about a God who comes to us like he came to a group of shepherds living under the oppression of Roman rule on a hillside in Bethlehem. 
In the midst of their shadows, the angels declared peace and favor and good news of salvation. That's what this is all about. Don't you believe it would break the heart of God if today we find ourselves in the deep shadows of life and lose our hope? The very reason Jesus comes as a babe in Bethlehem, the very reason he comes in the Holy Spirit to us day after day, the very reason he comes again to make all things new is so that the shadows do not dominate our lives, but that we might live in hope in the midst of the shadows. This season is a time to live like children up on our tippy toes, looking out the window of life, aware of the shadows, but certain that Jesus is coming. And we're excited because he is coming and he loves us and he is for us and he is bigger than what is the matter. And he is the greater reality in life, not our shadows. His coming dispels shadows. It picks up broken pieces and it makes things new. So we watch with anticipation. We watch because our hope is in him and we know that he will not disappoint. We watch knowing all our responsibilities are taken care of in anticipation of his coming. We watch obeying and serving, stewarding and honoring. We watch excited and ready to burst out the door. We watch up on tippy toes, looking out the window of the future. Jesus has come, is coming, and will come again. We know that reality to be true. Now, we may not always recognize him or understand his coming, but we know it to be promised and true. So we wait and we watch and we invest our hope in him. When we light the candles of the Advent season, we take seriously the message of Mark 13. And we anticipate watching and waiting, waiting and watching. We anticipate his coming in hope. That is the significance of Advent and Christmas. This is why it is the happiest time of the year. Jesus is coming. He has come, is coming will come again and in his coming may hope be reborn in us today there's a message of good news in the shadows jesus speaks it does anyone need to hear it does anyone need to respond and move from the seat of despair to the window of anticipation and what i say to you i say to everyone watch Wait, live in hope. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We invite you to visit our website at mcfarlandumc.org to learn more about our church and the ministries that we provide the Rossville and East Lake communities around Chattanooga. May God's blessings be yours.